listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Online at bethanynaz.org. You might uh, put a note to remember to pray for Harlan and Barbie Moore. They will leave in the morning from the airport at 11.30 for Eswatini for about six months. And so we want to, uh, to lift our good friends Harlan and Barbie up, right? Um, we didn't mention that, Brent and Amy, but after you're here a while, we send you to Africa. Um, so you got a little while before. Yeah. On Monday night, uh, my wife Annette and I met our youngest daughter, Morgan, who lives here in Oklahoma City, and her boyfriend, Brian, for dinner at a place called Sur La Table. You've been to Sur La Table? It's one of those places where they have this idea. You can imagine the conversation when they're cooking it up. They say, what if we let people come and eat, but we, we have them cook their own food and we charge them extra? <laughs> and I'm sure somebody said, you know, that would never work. And then somebody else said, no, this is America. That would totally work. We, we should do it. I, actually, it was a blast. But Annette and I have this thing that if we're with Morgan, it's a blast. It's always good to hang out with her. And it was a Christmas present from her. And she wanted us to do this experience together. And so it was fun. And we laughed and we cut up and we're, we're cooking, you know, our food. And then we finally sat down to eat it. And there's two other couples that have been in this experience with us. And I'm exhausted, been in the kitchen all afternoon. And uh, actually, it was only about 30 minutes. And so, so as we're having this conversation at the table with this really young couple who are like 20s, early 20s, and then this other couple about Morgan and Brian's age, maybe early 30s, um, we learned that, that he's a preacher's kid, like Morgan. And they start having a conversation about what it's like growing up as preacher's kids. And my antennas are up because I've always... Wanted my kids to love the church after growing up as a preacher's kid. And so at one point in the conversation, Morgan says this. She says, and you got to remember that we didn't always pastor BFC. She grew up in much smaller churches. She said, it's, it's kind of like this. I, w- I would describe it like this. It, it was one family taking care of an entire congregation. But at the same time, it was an entire congregation taking care of one family. And, and I had to hold back the tears. Because she was, she was admitting, yeah, there's a responsibility with being a pastor and a pastor's family. And when, when people are walking through their darkest hours, we want to walk, walk along beside them. But man, we had a whole church walking along beside us. And, and I loved the fact that my kids have grown up saying the church was there for us. Isn't that the way it should be, right? So there's a, there's a story that I hear over and over again here. I, I just hear it all the time. And the story is, Pastor Rick, when, when we went through some of our darkest hours in the history of our family... This community, this church came along beside us. In fact, a recent conversation I had with Brenda Teeters, a very special lady. And the loss of her husband, Kevin. She said, Pastor Rick, let me tell you something. Until you've experienced it, 
This family coming along beside you, you can't understand it. It's overwhelming. My friend Mark understands it. And he's saying amen. I mean, that's the way it's supposed to be, right? So let me ask you a question. What if it doesn't work out that way? Well, that came out of left field. American slang for unexpected. Well, what do you mean? What if it doesn't work out that way? I mean, what, what if in your time of need or when you really needed people who are close to you to be there and they weren't there? Well, what are you, what are you talking about? I'm talking about the fact that we are humans. And relationships can be really messy. And sometimes we let each other down. So let me, let me go with another question. Can you remember a time that you were really counting on somebody to be there for you? And, and they let you down. They weren't there. Want to flip that pancake over? What about a time when you weren't there for someone and you really let them down? I think at this point we are knee deep in the last hours of Jesus' life. So here in this season of Lent, when we focus on the sacrifice and the sufferings of Jesus, and this year we've chosen to look at especially those last hours of his life, I've challenged you all along that let's don't simply listen to what Jesus said as we read the gospel story. But let's try to look closer and see what Jesus did. And particularly in this series, we've been saying, let's try to understand how Jesus responded in these last hours when he was so terribly mistreated. And so I want to take you to this story this morning of Simon Peter's denial of Jesus. Okay, so. We're at the Last Supper, and, um, and, and after the Last Supper, we think that they're probably maybe on their way to the Garden of Gethsemane, and it might be in the walk that this conversation happens. Jesus told them in Matthew 26, verse 31, uh, this very night, you will all, he's with the remaining 11 disciples, Judas is gone out now, this very night, you all will fall away on account of me. I can't imagine how devastating this was to hear. For it is written, and he quotes the prophet Zechariah, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But then he says, after I have risen, now he's predicting the resurrection once again, I will go ahead of you into Galilee and and. And who's going to respond to this conversation? Who's going to speak up first? Well, of course, it's Simon Peter. He replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I hear what you're saying, Jesus, but it's not going to happen. All right? Ain't happening today. But then truly, I tell you, Jesus answered this very night before the rooster crows. You will disown me three times. 
And Peter, you know, again, declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never do it. I'm not going to disown you. In fact, all the other disciples said the same thing. Hey, Jesus, you can count on us, man. Listen, that's just not going to happen. We're with you. Now, Peter was setting, and now we're down to verse 60, and this is after Jesus has been arrested. Now, Peter was setting outside in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she says. And this is the first denial, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. And then he went out to the gateway, meaning the gateway of the courtyard, where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. But this is number two. He denied it again with an oath. I swear to something. We don't know what he said, but I swear. I don't know the man. And after a while, those standing there went to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. So they're in Judea. He's from Galilee. And, and your accent has given you away. You're a Galilean. You must be one of his disciples. And then he began to call down curses. And he swore to them, I don't know the man. That's the third denial. And immediately a rooster crowed. And then Peter remembered the word of Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went out and he wept. Bitterly. So we've been giving you an image through this series. I gave you a card when you came in with the image on it. It's it's hanging over my head. We've added now another image. And we've given you some practices that might help you through the season of Lent. We, we, We thought the best image we could give you for this sermon would be an image of the rooster. How many of you, by by raising your hand really high and holding it up just for a minute, would say to me, I have seen a rooster on top of a cross, on top of a steeple of a church. Just raise your hand really high. So I have several of you that have. I'm not talking about a barn now. I'm talking about a church. Yeah, several have. Uh, Let let me just show you a picture. This is a church in Scotland, and uh, it's very common through Europe. This, this picture might give you a close-up. It might help you a little bit better, this second picture. Um, you might ask how it came to be. So w- when you begin research, you, you may feel a little confused because there's different narratives there. I, I think we can be sure of this, that Pope Nicholas I, who was Pope in the ninth century, ordered that every church in Europe have a rooster atop the cross, which is atop the steeple of every church. And 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 here was the idea. It, it was seen as a Christian symbol, all right? And, and you would say, well, it's a symbol of Peter's denial. And, and while Pope Nicholas might say, well, that is true, he would also say it's also a symbol of his remorse and his regret and his repentance and his forgiveness. And so, in the ninth century, to travel through Europe, and the 10th, and the 11th, and the 12th, and so on, and many are still there, it was very common to see a rooster atop the cross, atop the steeple of a church. 
So I think we probably should just take a few minutes here and dive into this narrative of denial and remorse and repentance and forgiveness. So here's, here's what happens with the story. Jesus, you know, really bets the whole farm on these 12 guys. And all 12 let him down. And somehow I find myself in that story. Do you? He bets the whole farm on these 12 guys, knowing they're going to let me down. And somehow I find myself in that story. And so Jesus has made it clear. Guys, here's what's going to happen, okay? I read it to you a moment ago in the text. Let me kind of summarize it for you. I'm, 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 I'm going to be in a tough place because you're all going to walk away, okay? You're all going to, you're all going to walk away. Every one of you. And, and then I'm going to die. They're going to kill me. But then I'm going to rise. And then after I rise, I'm going to go and meet you in Galilee. Do you understand what he's doing? He's already preparing to forgive them and to restore them. I mean, already he's saying, all this is going to go down. You're all going to walk away. You're all going to mess up. You're all going to betray. You're all going to deny. But I'll find you in Galilee. He's already preparing this. You know, I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to restore you. Our relationship is going to be back together again one day. And so who responds to this kind of language? Well, it's Simon Peter. And, and, and he just gives these really strong, you know, hey, you know, if they all walk away, I won't. Uh, everybody can disown you, but I never will. I'm going to be right beside you. And then, and then all the disciples say the same. And I can imagine, you know, if, on this walk, on this journey, uh, Jesus, hey man, come here. Let me tell you, we're not gonna, we're not gonna do this. We're not gonna walk away. We're not gonna flee. We're gonna stay with you. Our place is with you. You know, I promise you. But they don't live up to the promise. In fact, Mark gives us a little bit of insight in chapter 14, verse 54, when he says, and Peter, had followed him at a distance. And there's lots of sermons you can preach about that one line right there, I promise you. There might be somebody here saying, I, I, I'm kind of following Jesus, Rick, but I'm following at a distance. Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself in the fire. You've got to understand that he's staying there through the morning and he is seeing Jesus being falsely accused. He is watching Jesus take a physical beating. And he's watching them hurl insults at Jesus. And in this very, you know, difficult environment, Peter's witnessing all of this happening, but he's staying. And then, he's asked the questions. And three times he denies Jesus. And Luke says in verse 22, after the third denial, the Lord turned and he looked straight at Peter. 
You, you remember as a kid, or if you are a kid, when you really let your parents down, and the first time your eyes met theirs, you couldn't hardly take it. And the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. And then Peter remembered the word Luke says, the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. What? And, and, and then in verse 56, all the disciples fled. What, what, what is it? What, what happens? Fear? I was afraid, you know. We, we humans, we are built with this, with this emotional response called fear. When we feel threatened or when we, when we feel like that we're in danger. Um, stress hormones like um, cortisol and adrenaline is released into our system, preparing us to either stand and face what's in front of us or to escape. Psychologists call it fight or flight. And the disciples chose flight. I know I don't have to say it, but I want to say it. I know I don't have to say it, but I'm going to say it. You know I'm going to say it. There will be times when those closest to us let us down. One day we will stand in Jesus' sandals because he didn't wear shoes. And just like the people that he was counting on to be there for him let him down, there's going to be times in our lives when people that are close to us are going to let us down. And so I think we've got to spend the rest of our time saying, what do we do? When that happens, and is it possible for you and I to really be like Jesus? When I was um, a junior high kid, I was excited about being out of children's ministry at my church and into the, to the youth group. And I remember one Sunday morning going to church, and I was the first one in my classroom, even before the teacher. And, and I was sitting there, and, and I, remembered, I remembered right then that the week earlier, the teacher had said... That whoever brought the most people to church the next Sunday would win a free Bible. And so I hadn't thought about it all week. I just remembered it sitting right there. The next person who comes in the room is a girl named Sharon who didn't come to church very often. And, and I got this idea. I said, hey, Sharon, how long has it been since you've been to church? And she said, months. And I said, well, they're giving a free Bible away to whoever invites the most people. And the like criteria is that if you just invite somebody that hasn't been here for three weeks. So why don't you say that I invited you and I'll win a free Bible. So not only am I comfortable in my own sin, I'm comfortable dragging someone else into my sin with me right here. You see what's going on? And so she says, okay. And so the teacher said, okay, did anybody bring anybody? And I said, I called Sharon. And Sharon said, yeah, he called me. And the teacher said, well, Ricky, you're the only one that's invited anybody. I'm proud of you. But what she said next kind of jarred me a little bit. She said, the pastor, you know, is doing this for every class. He's decided not to give the Bibles in the classroom, but he wants to bring everybody up on the platform when we get into the service this morning. 
And, and I began to think how shocked my parents were going to be. When I walked up onto that platform. And, and I remember walking up and it was all not feeling good. I was already in a bad place. This has not gone well, you know. And, and, uh, and on the ride home, my parents just did not bring it up. They pretty much knew something had been cooked, you know. So I, I know that, you know, I've heard people say a sin's a sin, you know, all sins are, but it seems to me that if you lie to win a Bible, that that's another category of sinning. Thank you. And so I lived with that until Wednesday night. And, and I was a miserable soul. And so when we went to church on Wednesday night, my pastor was standing on the front steps of our home church. And I walked up to him with that Bible in my hand. I had not said anything to my family. But I said to him, as I handed him the Bible, I lied. And, and I'm miserable. And, and I'm sorry. And I'm asking you to forgive me. My pastor was a guy named Brother Appleby. You remember when we called pastor's brother? And he puts his arms around me and he says, Ricky, have you asked the Lord to forgive you? And I said, I have. And he said, then, then the Lord forgives you and I forgive you. And he just held me there. And I cried. And then he said, would you do me a favor? And I said, yes. He said, would you take the Bible? And would you read it? Because you need it. And so I took the Bible home with me. Do you know what it's like to feel forgiven? Wow. Just standing there on the church steps, having my pastor with his arms around me. Just saying, Ricky, I forgive you and Jesus forgives you. Man, just that sense of you're forgiven. It's all, it's all gone. It's all just washed away. It's just done. It's beyond. It's in the past. And so there's this story in John 21. Jesus has died on the cross. He's been resurrected. He's appeared to the disciples two times already. And one evening, Simon Peter is with James and John and Thomas and Nathaniel. And two other disciples. And do you know what he says? I'm going to go fishing. And they said, well, we'll go with you. And so they all go out and they fish all night. And you remember the results? They caught nothing, nada, not one fish. And early that morning, there's somebody standing on the shore, but they don't recognize that it's Jesus. And he calls out, have you caught any fish? And they said, no. None. And he says, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And why they took his advice, I don't know, but they did. And they caught more fish than they could bring in, 153 actually. And John looks at Peter and he points at the shore and he says, Peter, that's the Lord. And Simon jumps in the water and he swims to the shore and the other disciples come tugging the net of fish. There's a cold. Jesus is cooking fish and bread. And he says, bring some of your fish. Don't you love this image? 
I'm complaining about cooking at Surla table, but Jesus is cooking for the disciples, right? Always the servant, never being served, right? Making them breakfast. So in 2019, on July the 15th, I got up early one morning with a bunch of strangers that I've been hanging out with for a few days. And I jumped on a combi. We left the kibbutz where we were staying in Israel and we drove about 40 minutes north to the town of Capernaum. We walked through the ruins of the town and we ended up down here on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's a picture that I, I took from my phone standing on the shoreline. I wish I could tell you that my footprints were standing in the very footprints where Jesus was when he had the conversation with Peter, but I have no idea where Jesus was. But the morning that we were there, the guide used this story as our devotional. Now, you might remember Capernaum's on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. I'm kind of looking west. It goes even further that way. But if maybe you use the picture and maybe you use your imagination, you can imagine swallowing your last bite of breakfast and you can hear the waves lap up against the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee, the lake there. And you smell the water and you hear Jesus say the words, do you love me? Lord, you know, I love you. Peter says he actually asked him three times and all three times. Peter says, you know, and the third time he was kind of hurt. There's a lot of conversation about a different Greek word that was used the third time for love. And some people say it's significant and others say it probably isn't. It's really just about Jesus reinstating, restoring, forgiving Simon Peter and saying, I need you to be about this mission with me. And so what does Jesus do? He forgives the ones who let him down. And the real question is, what do we do? Because the whole series we've been saying, is it possible for us to be like Jesus? I think, I think Paul was getting it when he said in the book of Colossians, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. So Ricky, just like your pastor held you in his arms and said, I forgive you. And the Lord's forgiven you. Then, then you should probably forgive when people offend and hurt you. The, the, the really good news here is that you can be forgiven. I mean, this is the gospel. But there's some really other good news, and that is you can forgive. Which is maybe just as free as being forgiven. So there's this one other verse I got to show you. I know I'm jumping ahead. We're in Lent, but it's after the resurrection. The women come to the tomb and the angel says to them these words. In Mark 16, but go 
tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. Remember that promise? I'll see you guys in Galilee. Well, I always get back here. I mean, th- these words have always intrigued me. Tell his disciples and Peter. Well, Peter is a disciple. I mean, all you have to say is tell his disciples. But I think it's the Lord saying, I want to make sure that Peter knows. Tell his disciples, but but make make sure you tell Peter. I want to be sure that Peter knows that there's forgiveness. I want to make sure that he knows that there's restoration. I I want to make sure Peter knows how I'm going to treat him when I see him. Make, Make sure he knows. So this morning, it could be that somebody here needs to be forgiven by Jesus. And I think you could put your name in that verse. Jesus wants you to know how he's going to respond to your remorse and your repentance. There's forgiveness waiting for you. But there's also this grace. Because we've read the end of the story and we know that in death and resurrection, everything is conquered. And we are raised to this new life with Jesus, this life where forgiveness is possible. You may say, Rick, forgiveness is hard. And if I said, oh, I understand, I may not. I may not have gone through what you've gone through. But I know that God gives us grace. I want you to stand with me and I want to pray for you this morning, okay? Father, these are are precious moments that we're sharing with each other right now. In, In your word. We 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 want to be careful to listen to what you're saying to us. We want to hear your heart. And I pray in the name of Jesus that by the power of your Holy Spirit. You would. You would let us feel your love. Your grace and your goodness. Your mercy. Sometimes, Lord, I find myself in a place where I just want to pray. I just want to talk to you about it. It just helps me sometimes just to talk about it. And so, Lord, would you give us a listening ear this morning if we just need to talk about it? We're going to sing a song of, of really celebration. Um, and, and if this morning you'd want to pray at the altar, I, I'm inviting you to say, Lord, I just want to come talk about it. There'll be pastors here and they'll be glad to pray with you. Um, just go to one of them and say, would you, would you, would you pray with me this morning?
If you just want to come and pray by yourself, feel free. And, and, and I know in these moments, sometimes we get people on our mind that we love. If you want to pray for a friend, if you want to be prayed for for healing, whatever your concern is, whatever your reason to talk about it is, I invite you to come. Let's sing together.
good to know, church. The Lord is with us. He goes before us. He stands beside us. His presence is what we need, is what we desire. And as we've met this morning, His presence has truly met with us today. As you leave this place and you go out into the world, may you be armed and ready with forgiveness and love and compassion to your neighbors. We thank you for being here this morning. God bless you. You are dismissed. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.